From Centered, welcome to the Take Root Podcast, where our purpose is to share testimonies that encourage you to deepen your roots of faith. Join host Karen Johnson to hear stories of those who have experienced God directing their own lives to a deeper, engaged faith. Well, hello, friends. It's good to be with you again today, and I'm excited to introduce you today to Don Bunker, a man of deep faith with a heart for service in our world. There is just so much to say about this man that it is a challenge to keep my introduction on the short side, but I'll give it a try. Don Bonker served as a United States congressman from 1974 to 1988. He then became the executive director of APCO Worldwide, a global public affairs firm with offices in 26 countries around the world. In this role for 30 years, Don was a senior advisor to prominent global companies and an influential voice on international trade and security issues. He also chaired the Parliamentary Human Rights Foundation, engaging these same foreign governments to advance the cause of human rights. While a congressman, along with his notable accomplishments in trade and human rights, Don also sponsored significant environmental legislation that I'm sure we all would love to thank him for now, the preservation of some of Washington state's most pristine areas, the Columbia River National Scenic Area, Mount St. Helens Volcanic Monument Area, and Grays Harbor Wildlife Refuge. What a gift to us all. At this point, we're probably all thinking this man should write a book. Well, lucky for us, he has. In 2020, Don authored a book that gives great insight from his many years of experience, entitled A Higher Calling, Faith and Politics in the Public Square. It's an inspiring book with a challenge to all of us to consider our higher calling. Don and his wife, Carolyn, have been married for over 50 years, and they live in Bainbridge Island, Washington. They have two grown children, Don Elise and Jonathan, and five precious grandchildren. It is such an honor to have you with us today. Welcome, Don. Well, Karen, thanks for the invitation. <laughs> Pleased yeah. to join you in this discourse on yes. matters that are timely these days. Yes, they are. They sure are. Well, why don't we just start by, tell us just a little bit about you and your family now. Well, Carolyn and I celebrated our 50th anniversary in Vancouver, Washington, at the Aww. historic Stinger House. Now it's on uh, Jane Weber Arboretum and uh, assembled a lot of precious fun, uh, friends uh, for this uh, ceremony of our, and they have a big stone plaque there and so forth. So um, that really is testimony to my family life, and now mm-hmm. with us, both son and daughter who are serving the Lord in their own ways. My yeah. son is a pastor, a missionary to Bangladesh for eight years, wow. and his new ministry is going to be in Florida. And in fact, he just flew down there yesterday. Uh, and the outreach will be to foreign students um, who are enrolled at the University of Florida. So his outreach is to these students who will go back and be leaders in those respective countries, China, India, wherever. And my daughter, she's very high ranking at the Salvation Army, oversees all their fundraising. And uh, so she's 
again, committed to serving others. So as parents, we couldn't be more proud. And we've had these now five toddlers on yeah. our property oh, for a few years oh, wow. before they moved to Florida in the next couple of weeks. So we couldn't oh. be more proud. Oh, that is wonderful. What a what a precious family you have. And I do know your daughter and she is quite amazing. Well, tell me, how did you come to have such a deep faith? What is your faith story? Well, uh, this is all covered in the book and it uh, dates back to when Carolyn and I started dating. I was the county auditor then. She had been at Labrie in Switzerland mm -hmm. and had come back. Her father was head of the state patrol in Southwest <laughs> Washington, wanted her to stay, reached out to the state senator. Hey, can you get that county official to find a job for my daughter? <laughs> <laughs> and so eventually uh, I found her a position in the courthouse. It wasn't long term, but it was long enough for us to start dating. And I did attend uh, the Presbyterian Church there, but I wasn't a real believer. Mm -hmm. I was just devoted to the church and even mm -hmm. taught Sunday school and so forth. But um, upon my several approaches to proposing to Carolyn, she mm -hmm. was waiting for me to make a genuine commitment. Huh. And um, finally, on Christmas Eve, when I had a ring, gave it to her the next Day we met with our pastor on Christmas Day. Nonetheless, that was very sweet of him. Huh. And I had all these questions, and he made credible responses. But it was mm -hmm. Carolyn when she weighed in and offered a few comments that led me to the Lord and that commitment. So, mm -hmm. two commitments one was to the Lord, the second one was to Carolyn. <laughs> That's beautiful. I love that. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, you and I have. Well, um, let me oh. make one other comment. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, in that early period, somebody arranged for her to interview for a position in the governor's office in Olympia. Uh -huh. And uh, she went up there, and the person she met with was politically very savvy, uh, high ranking, and that Carolyn knew her from an earlier stage. And she asked Carolyn, are you dating anybody? And she said, uh, yes, uh, a county official. She said, who is that? And Carolyn said, Dom Bonker. And then she was jumping off her seat and she said, what are you doing here? Go back and marry that guy. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> that is a great story. <laughs> I, I bet she. I bet she loves to tell that too. Oh, oh that's awesome. <laughs> okay, well, listen. You and I both have a, a common love for the the purposes behind the National Prayer Breakfast. The 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 love, the the coming together of differing peoples and parties to honor the Lord and lift up the name of Jesus. And this has been going on for a long time, and you have a much longer history with it than I do, and have often shared that history of Abram Brady from Seattle, how he started it. Would you like to share just a little bit about your love for that and the history there? Well, I can share 52 years in two minutes, maybe. I'll try. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but really, the National Prayer Breakfast, uh, the founder, 
resided in Seattle. Mm -hmm. And he was the force that helped to shape the prayer breakfast that started in Washington State. At the time, he was from Norway. He was a pastor. And it was during the Great Depression that he tried to bring together business leaders and labor unions to try to address uh, local problems, especially poverty, homeless. And out of that interaction came the Goodwill. It was founded. Yes, yes. Goodwill right Industries, yes. And uh, then a few years later, he went beyond and brought together the mayor first and other leaders to do a mayor's prayer breakfast. And then eventually that went to the governor's prayer breakfast and it started to spread to Oregon and other states. And then ultimately he went back to Washington, D.C. He had the right networks and uh, finally became more involved in the U.S. Senate. And that's when um, the senator from Kansas, uh, at his urging, uh, formed the Senate prayer breakfast. And then there was the House prayer breakfast. And then eventually, thanks to President Eisenhower's close relationship to the senator, because they were both from Kansas, that's what started the National Prayer Breakfast. Huh. It's been going on for now for almost 60 years. Wow. Abraham Brady. Yes. Amazing what one man's heart and, and passion and love for the Lord can do, huh? Oh, absolutely. And the other... Yeah. We have to mention the other great leader of the National Prayer Breakfast was, was from Oregon, mm -hmm. Doug Coe. Yes. Uh -huh. And he shared that vision, but he also had a touch of charisma. Hmm. And he really got involved in both the Senate and the House mm -hmm. and uh, had the kind of, I don't know, personality, his character. But all senators were drawn to him and his outreach on the Hill, both Democrats and Republicans. He was totally nonpartisan, but really had this incredible rapport on both sides hmm. and uh, had an incredible ministry. He did. And, and in your book, um, A Higher Calling, you have a chapter on bipartisan soulmates. And um, I believe Doug Coe had something to do with that, drawing congressmen together, Republicans and Democrats, uh, to a weekly fellowship of sorts. Would you uh, share? And you were part of that for 12 years, as I understand it. Yeah. Could you? Well, thanks for asking. Share I'd about like to that. Share uh -huh. about it. Doug brought four of us together: two Democrats, two Republicans. We pretty much represented the political spectrum at the time, from mm -hmm. liberal to conservative in between, mm -hmm. and um, asked that we meet weekly and make it a priority because you have the lobbyists and, and delegations coming in. From, there's a lot of pressure on the congressman's time, oh, but yeah. we made it a high priority. And mm -hmm. we used to meet in Senator Mark Hatfield's private office hmm. on Capitol Hill. He was chairman of the Rules Committee, so he had a special office. Okay. <laughs> and we did. And when we met and came into his office, whatever issues, policies, votes, they were just left at the doorstep. And once we got inside, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we really started to bond, uh, not only in faith that brought us together, mm -hmm. but a real love and support and commitment to one another. Mm -hmm. And that went on for 12 years. 
And at a certain point at that 12th year, we were young, ambitious, and that particular year, there seemed to be opportunity for a higher office. And mm -hmm. we all ran for Senate. I ran for the Senate, uh -huh. uh, the other one, governor, and so forth. And we were praying for one another. Yeah. And amazingly, we all lost. Hmm. And Doug <laughs> encouraged us to go down to Bermuda. So we spent a week down there as couples. Huh. And trying to understand, uh, cope with our defeats. Mm. Why, Lord, we've been faithful. We mm. prayed about our decision. Mm. Why is this defeat? Yeah. And then we started to think it through. And when you look at the Old Testament, it's not mm. about triumph, success, mm. glorious victory, and so forth. It's about defeat mm. and setback. It mm. builds character. Yeah. And uh, Doug once gave me a portrait. It's just here in my office nearby of Abraham Lincoln. And mm. you turn it on the reverse side and it lists his 26 failures, huh. defeats, setbacks. Yes. But it, what it did is to build character, to make mm. him the greatest president in our history. Hmm. And so... Hmm. We started to understand, but still we were coping with, what's next, Lord? Hmm. And what is my higher calling? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm a grandfather, and I have five toddlers. Oh. That's my higher calling. <laughs> I love it. After 30-plus years serving internationally, that is, <laughs> that God <laughs> called you to. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, you know, we're really in such interesting and difficult times right now, looking at the world. And, um, you know, during your 40 years of involvement back at the National Prayer Breakfast, you often brought foreign leaders to the breakfast and uh, invited them, and mostly from Russia and the former Soviet countries. And and you have mentioned two that stand out, Mikhail, and tell me if I pronounce this correctly, Kodogor. Kordakovsky. There you go. Thank you. And Vladimir, you say the last name. Guzinski. Guzinski. Thank you. And Putin ended up having both of them imprisoned, uh, for one for 10 years, because they dared to confront him about corruption. Guzinski ultimately attended uh, uh, the National Prayer Breakfast and also sponsored parliamentarians' attendance. So, these were two people that you knew and loved from Russia, and they've done incredible things since. But tell us about that. Um, that's uh, yes, uh, and it's featured in my book. Uh, yeah. It's the only time yeah. in my book that is after Congress. Yeah. But it's such an extraordinary experience. Well, thanks to Doug Cole, after the Soviet Union was broken up, uh, a group of us went to the fourteen former Soviet republics, uh, mm -hmm. including Moscow. But mm -hmm. it was also through my firm at the time uh -huh. that I represented both Kaczynski and Kordakovsky. Now, this is a time when the highly centralized government, communists, broke up and suddenly it was like the Wild West. Hmm. And these oligarchs ah. quickly amassed a lot of wealth and ownership huh. and they became very 
powerful uh, uh, prior to Putin's coming on the scene. Uh, they were very powerful. And when Putin got there, he brought him into the room. You play by my rules or you're going to pay a heavy price. Well, both Hordakovsky and Gazinsky wow. confronted him with corruption and wow. authoritarian rule. And you don't mess with Putin. Uh, yeah. First was uh, Kaczynski, because he had acquired ownership of most of the media. And of course, Putin wanted to control the media, as he is doing today in yes. that war in Ukraine. And he put me, he put Kaczynski into prison. And the prosecutor showed up and said, Vladimir, you got a choice. You either turn over all your media assets to the state and get the hell out of here, or you're going to be in prison for a long time. And he opted with the former option. He now wow. has a home in New York, but also in wow. Israel. He's, he's Jewish, actually. Huh. And then Hordakovsky was head of the largest oil company and the wealthiest man at age 32. Also reform-minded. Yeah. He personally paid for computers to go on all the schools throughout Russia. Wow. But Putin didn't like him. Uh, he was a threat to him politically, yeah. and Putin also wanted to acquire the assets, get him back into state ownership. He had Kordakovsky in prison for 10 years, oh my and he lost everything. Today, he's on television quite a bit because he's wow. being interviewed about what Putin is doing and so forth. But back to the prayer breakfast. I mm -hmm. brought both of them to the prayer breakfast. Kaczynski mm -hmm. mm -hmm. is Jewish. No, he was never a true believer, but he was so impressed with everything he saw there. Hmm. And, um, uh, and Gazinsky then started bringing parliamentarians from Israel. Hmm. His only requirement, they'd be from different parties, because that huh. was a whole spirit yeah. of yeah. the prayer groups, you know, bringing together mm -hmm. based on faith, those with political differences. And he did this for 25 years. Wow. Now, hmm. I remember. Bordakoski, when I first took him in to meet Doug Cole, um, I was wondering, now, how is this going and so forth? But when we were leaving Doug's place, Bordakoski said, this is an incredible man. You make sure he's on my schedule every time I come back to Washington. Wow. So Doug really had a profound, but it's also, and to finish with this one story, I brought an oligarch from uh, Ukraine. Yeah, Ukraine. Uh -huh. uh, he owned uh -huh. the big soccer team, so he was wealthy and all that. Huh. Uh -huh. Yeah. And I brought him to the prayer breakfast. Well, he didn't speak English, but he had a guy with him, of course, who mm -hmm. did the interpreting. And so, you know, I have him in a table that's kind of up front, and I'm observing his reactions to what's the speakers and so forth. And so afterwards, I pulled this guy aside and I said, what... Uh, Tell me, what's his take on being here? The speakers and so forth, the president <laughs> being there. Mm -hmm. He said his take, uh, Congressman, was the spirit in the room. Uh -huh. He was raised in the era of communism. Wow. It was all about suppression. Yes. People didn't walk around the streets with big smiles on their face, happy, yeah. joyful. Mm -hmm. No. Mm -hmm. It was all about suppression. Yeah. And he looked in that room, he saw everybody feeling the sense of joy, hugging each mm -hmm. other, love, 
That's what impressed him. And yeah. that is the biggest testimony to the National Prayer Breakfast. Hmm. Something you feel. Yeah. Regardless of where you are politically. Right. Has, uh, God's bonding take yeah. full display. Well, whether people know it or not, it is the spirit of Jesus, right? The spirit of God is is, yes. is just fills the room. And, and thankfully, we both know that God is always pursuing us, you know, no matter what your faith or or background, yeah. we know he's always pursuing us to to sh- to show us his love for us. So, well, you, you we've mentioned your book a couple of times, but um, it's really obvious in your book, the deep care that you had serving in Congress, both as a Democrat and a Christian. And during that time, I believe the moral majority was was uh, in force and you must have dealt with skepticism on both sides how about share with us some of that experience what that was like well that's spot on it was skepticism it all started when i ran for secretary state in 1972 carolyn and i were in seattle and that's a prominent place i just can't remember it now but uh, they were inviting candidates to combine and so forth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so arrangement was made. And I got up and gave my few comments and then opened a question. And this one guy got up and said, Mr. Bonker, how can you be both a Christian and a Democrat? Hmm. Hmm. Now, I can't remember my response, but what I should have said or remind him that God rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, not an elephant. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. That's that's great. That's great. <laughs> but it was um, during the 70s, the moral majority was really shaping how people viewed religion as yeah political and aligned strongly with one side. And when you think about it, Mm -hmm. when the moral majority was at its peak, Jimmy Carter, no president has had deeper faith on display in office than Jimmy Carter. Mm -hmm. And he was Mm -hmm. running against Ronald Mm -hmm. Reagan, who was okay, but did not have deep faith. And of course, they readily endorsed uh, Reagan. Mm -hmm. So it became politicized and there's Mm -hmm. still a lot of the scars from that uh, today, if yeah. you will. Yeah. And so uh, they were skeptical of me because they felt all Democrats were demons. Mm. You know, they didn't see Democrats as mm. people of faith and so on and so forth, mm. but in the political lens. Yeah. And the liberals, likewise, he's, mm-hmm. in, he's one of those evangelicals my hmm. God, how does that shape what he thinks and how he votes and so forth? Huh, so I had huh. to cope with it on, on both sides. On both sides. And yeah. uh, on both sides. Now, let me cite another example. The most prominent senator at that time was Mark Hatfield of Oregon. Mm-hmm. A wonderful man of faith. Mm-hmm. Something of a moderate mm-hmm. Republican. Mm-hmm. Um, but... The religious right was starting to pull him over, hmm. and he wrote two books. One of them was Between a Rock and a Hard Place. 
Huh. So he was coping. He's a Republican coping with the same problems that I was as a Democrat. Yes. Mm-hmm. And um, so whenever you politicize the faith, mm-hmm. then you lose sight of what a person yeah. really is. Yes. What shapes his beliefs and his actions and so mm-hmm. forth. Absolutely. And that has really tarnished our political system mm-hmm. and as well as our religion. Because yes. people shouldn't be thinking of Jesus and faith only through becoming an extreme evangelical. Yeah. That's more about politics than anything. Yeah. It should be the teachings and the principles of Jesus. Amen. 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 We, we, you know, Jesus didn't come to create a religion, did he? And nor did he take sides. Right. Take sides. He just said, "Come, follow me." See how I do it and follow me. And that's Karen, what we need to do. That's a very <laughs> important note you just said. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that stands out about Doug Coe mm-hmm. is exactly what you said. Mm-hmm. He wasn't focused on the Christian faith, on the church. His mm-hmm. focus was on Jesus. Yes. And that would transcend differences with Arabs and with others. Yes. And that's why he included them. Mm -hmm. Second, except for Billy Graham, there's no person of clergy who was ever at the head table at the National Prayer Breakfast. Interesting. Only Billy Graham, (laughs) because we didn't want the clergy to take over the prayer breakfast. He wants to focus only on Jesus. And that's what made Doug a little different than others. I know once I was asked to speak at the National Prayer Breakfast in Russia because they were trying to do what we were doing at the time. Uh-huh. It was a lot different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was a National Prayer Breakfast, and I was a speaker. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, everybody at the head table was clergy. Ah, oh, interesting. Hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that's what made our prayer breakfast distinct mm-hmm. and really became kind of a model for other countries, because that's what Doug wanted to do. Yeah. Was to set up these kind of bipartisan prayer groups in other countries around the world. For sure. That's so good. And 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 it's needed now, I think, more than ever. We we are in a time of of um well certainly a lack of civil discourse and a challenging time of division. Um and, and how would you, what, what words of wisdom or challenge would you give to uh, those, let's start with those uh, who are public servants, and then how about the next generation? How about giving some some of your thoughts and wisdom to both of those groups, or to all of well, us? <laughs> we all need uh, it. <laughs> when I was a county official in Vancouver and started to gain more stature, become something of a leader, even though I was still young, aspiring Democrats who wanted to run for the legislature, they would always come to see me, probably to get my support. Mm-hmm. And I would ask them questions. Why do you want to run for this office? What motivates you? Mm-hmm. Not just issues. I was looking for something else yes. in terms of who they are and who they want to be. Yeah. And now in Congress today, and I assume in many state legislatures, when you enter public life, 
you better have a good sense of who you are. Yes. And what guides you. Mm. And faith is a big factor, but even aside from faith, do you have yeah. values? Yes. What guides you? Mm-hmm. And ultimately, what shapes who you are? Mm. Now, think about it, Karen. Mm-hmm. Anybody running for Congress today, we've seen all this election stuff play out the last couple of days. Mm-hmm. The senators and the contested House races. Mm-hmm. Where is all that money coming from? Yeah. So if it's big pack money, if it's lobbyist money, if it's uh, organizations that are endorsing or you or the other person, they become powerful entities. Yes, they do. And if you don't have a good sense of who you are, uh-huh. your values, then you're going to be shaped by the special interests, hmm. by the hmm. lobbyists. Uh-huh. That's going to shape who you are and what you ultimately become in the Senate or the House. And because money has become so powerful these days, mm-hmm. it's becoming more difficult for people to stay true, stay true to who they are. Mm-hmm. Now, fortunately, I mean, on the Republican side, they, they just got billionaires and so much money that mm-hmm. Democrats rely more on online contributions. Mm-hmm. $10 here, $15 there, so on and mm-hmm. so forth. And that's why they've been able to match what the Republicans are doing. But I wish we could kind of limit, greatly reduce the influence of money in our political system. Mm-hmm. So we can rely back on character and the other attributes, yeah. which really yeah. shape the kind of leadership we want in our nation today. Yes. Amen. And you've and you've seen both sides of that. Well, so what you just said uh, really applies to all of us and to young people who are just emerging as into their careers as young leaders. If you don't know your identity, who God calls you to be, you you can get lost in any any number of things, thinking that how much money you make is what identifies you or uh, um, other people identify you. So I think what you just said is so powerful that first we have to know who God made us to be, our identity in him and our and our values, as you say. Uh, and that that's a truth for all of us, isn't it? Yes, uh, it, it is. And yeah. uh, again, religion has become a factor in our elections these days. Um, and mm. uh, and it's very difficult to see what's defining what that really is. I mean, mm-hmm. if you're committed to Jesus and his teachings, it's about humility. Yes. It's about forgiveness. Yes. It's about outreach and support of the poor. Yeah. It's all these fundamental values. Mm-hmm. And um, but we've seen over centuries how religion shapes and that, you know, when our Founding fathers came together to establish our constitution. Mm-hmm. Most of our founding fathers, or at least that several generations, came from Europe. Mm-hmm. And what happened in Europe is that monarchies wanted to get the church's blessing, the Pope, mm-hmm. the Vatican, whatever. 
uh -huh. blessing. Right. So they felt they had a mandate, not only in terms of their traditional rule, but it's it's God working through me. So mm -hmm. when I issue this order, it's not just me, it's God. Hmm. So they would all have in their crowning, they would have the Pope uh, put on the crown and so yeah, forth. Yeah. And so our founding fathers were really concerned with how this really proved uh, potentially harmful to both religion and the rule. And yes. that's why they put the first, uh, the, the amendment, freedom mm -hmm. of religions. Yes. Uh, nor the Jedi or practice thereof. Mm -hmm. And that is fundamental. Yeah. Uh, now, we're seeing recently how that's been somewhat distorted, not so much mm -hmm. in legislation and so forth, but in terms of political campaigns. Yeah. But uh, um, abortion kind of plays out uh, in its own way. But again, uh, faith is important, but trying to politicize it in a way so instead of adopting Jesus' agenda, you adopt a political agenda. Right, right. Which is, yeah, takes you down the wrong road. Well, Don, what, what is God teaching you at this time in your life? You just told me you're 85 and you honor being a dad and a grandpa and a husband of 50 years. In the midst of, of your life right now, what, what is God teaching you? Well, thank you. I, several times a day, I thank the Lord mm. for all the blessings in my life. Mm. I start with my wife mm. and my children. I couldn't be more proud of my children mm. uh, with good health. Yeah. And I can look back at my lifetime and things that I've accomplished and so forth. I lost several important races, but that's vanished away. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So ultimately, it's looking back at my life, especially my family, and I see God has blessed me. Hmm. Well, you thank him for all the blessings. Hmm. Is that it? Hmm. No. Uh, there's got to be more. And the more is, how do we reciprocate? Hmm. If he's blessed our life, how can we honor the Lord? Hmm. And we honor the Lord by how we conduct our life. Because uh -huh. if people know you're a Christian and they watch your behavior, your actions and so forth, hmm. then they can see God as he works towards you. Yes. So I think that we have to be aware that not only thankful for the blessings, but how we're going to honor the Lord hmm. in all we do. Hmm. Well, you have certainly done a, honor, a lot of honoring of the Lord throughout your life. And I'm um, just so thankful to have this time with you today and that you would take this time to share from all your wisdom. Thank you so much, Don, and God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Take Root podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and share. To learn more about Centered and hear more stories of discovery and growth in Jesus, visit us at centered.org.